Father, we call upon you um, just as we've been singing in worship and as we get to study your word. We, God, remind us that this is not just a, a, a ritual or an action that we go through a couple times, maybe a week, uh, you know, hopefully a couple times in a year then. Um, God, when we, we call upon your name, we do have confidence we are we are drawing into the Holy of Holies. God, we are coming before your throne. We are able to actually share with you what is going on that you are already aware of. God, that we are, we are able to ask and to receive um, healing and, and power and equipping and whatever you see fit, Father, because you, as we have been looking at the past I don't know, two, three months while we've been walking through Exodus, Lord. You, you are a God who delivers and who restores. You are a God who sees things where they are, Father, who, who draws people into his presence that you may introduce your, your life, Father, your correction, your truth, your wisdom, your love, just everything about who you are. Father, thank you for giving us a time and a space this morning to just get to sing some of this truth that we, we do know, Father, and that we've been seeing from your word. And, and you know what? Sometimes <clears throat> maybe the, the 50th or 60th time we've sung something or we've read something, maybe, maybe then it starts to stick, Lord. And, and thank you for just giving us a time where, hey, we, can, we get to come together as a body in this place to you know, take an hour and a half at least out of our, our distractions, God, to, to bring these things before you, to be encouraged that you are God who hears this, to be encouraged that you are God who listens, Father, and who answers. Uh, we, we are not studying your word as if you're something far off that we, we are trying to figure out. We, we're not singing praise to something that we don't really know. God, you, you are here in our midst this morning. Your spirit dwells within our hearts as we've given our lives to you. Father, may we May we join with you where you are at as we are worshiping in your presence this morning. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So guys, we are, we're, um, this is our last Sunday in Exodus for a little stretch, for a little stretch. We are in chapter 19. We're going to finish the rest of 19 and 20. Uh, and just to kind of keep before you guys the roadmap that we are following on when we hit April, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians. John is actually going to be teaching next week on most of Colossians 1, and then I'll, I'll pick up after John sets the bar impossibly high, and I'll keep going throughout the rest of Colossians. Uh, but we're, we've been seeing there was a shift that took place a couple weeks ago in the book of Exodus where Moses says he's, he, he's been talking a lot about the people of Israel and what they're learning and what they're going through. And then he starts to write more about his own journey and, and what God is teaching him, what God is trying to do through him to the rest of the people. And we've been seeing the past couple of weeks that this is, this is God raising up the Messiah figure for his people. And it kind of foreshadows what's coming in Jesus, right? That, that the last couple of weeks we've been getting pictures of what God is going to do through his Messiah. And, and we've, we've unpacked from chapter 18 and the, the first you know, 95% of chapter 19, five different pieces as to what, what, does, what does God send his Messiah to do. Um, so those pieces that we've talked about, his Messiah leads us to glorify him, leads us, uh, he, his Messiah would equip us as his image bearers, his Messiah establishes God's covenant with us, 
Uh, he consecrates us and he draws us to himself. So those are the five pieces from the past you know, two and a half chapters we've been reading through. God's going to kind of put it together today in chapter 19 and in chapter 20. And, and you guys are going to see it's a, a passage you may be familiar with. Our, our kids have probably heard about it. You guys have heard about it in, in the section called the Ten Commandments. But really what is, what is going on here is less of a kind of like an aside of, all right, Moses, I'm delivering the people. Now I'm going to give you a list of laws to follow. This is just as we're hearing it, guys, keep thinking about where we've been, that what God is doing is he is training his people to know what does it look like to live with him. You know, if, if I'm going to deliver you from slavery, if I'm going to prepare you to bear my image, if I'm going to send someone to you that's going to lead you and do this, then who am I and what, what does it look like for you to bear my image? This, this is the background behind when we get to the Ten Commandments. And you're going to hear, guys, a lot of what we've talked about the past two weeks comes back into display. And so as you're hearing it again, be reminded, this is a picture of what God has done for us in Jesus, right? This is going to point us towards what we are getting ready to celebrate on Easter. But this, because this is pointing us towards Jesus, guys, and what God will do through his Messiah, this is a reality for us as followers of Christ. That, that this, is, this in part is what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. And so as we're getting a big reminder of what this looks like as God kind of takes these different pieces we've been talking about and puts it into the puzzle, we get, we get the picture of it in Moses knowing that's actually pointing to an even better picture in Christ. We also are going to start to see the big shift in Exodus that we'll pick up in May where we get into all the laws and you go, why on earth will the pastor be preaching through the Old Testament laws? Because in light of this whole story, guys, this is God really fleshing out for his people, who am I? Because if you know who I am, then you know what it is to be my people. And we, the church body here, New River Fellowship, this, this is what we want to see taking place, right? We want to know, which is, I pray that's why we're here on Sundays, that's why we're in our small groups, that's why we do what we do. We want to know who God is so that we know what is it to bear his image so that we can lead others in doing likewise. So we are here in chapter 19, beginning in verse 21. We're going to finish out 19 and go all the way through 20. And we're going to see really two big things this morning, that God fulfills his delivering and redeeming work through his Messiah. He puts all the pieces together in Moses, which is pointing us to he puts all the pieces together in Jesus. And then how do we respond? In one word, it's worship. God fulfills his delivering and redeeming work through his Messiah. We respond through righteous worship. So this is Exodus beginning in chapter 19, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, Well, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Well, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he told them, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. 
You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, the the traveler who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... The people were afraid, and they trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, Hey, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord told Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build of it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Father, we are grateful to get to see you just putting the pieces together. Father, I, I feel like so many times we, we start to see bits and pieces of the truth of what you're working towards. And God, we're, I, I, I'm grateful this morning that we get to come to parts in Exodus where you say, okay, let me, let me tie all of this in together so that Israel may understand it and you know, we may understand it, our future generations may understand it. And Father, thank you for as, as good as this is, that this is just pointing us to an even better reality, God, that we have in Christ. That we're, we're getting to see you in your long work, Father, of, of, of thousands of years of walking with the generations of your people, God, teaching them who you are, teaching them what that looks like as you are getting them ready for the, your coming Messiah. God, may we be able to hear and to see the things that you've done for us in Christ as we get to see your work through Moses to the people of Israel. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Guys, so the, the first 
thing we've been talking about is how God is tying all these pieces together. He begins by showing us how he fulfills his delivering and redeeming work through his Messiah. We're just going to kind of walk through in this section, all the, the five pieces I mentioned earlier, they get brought back up again. Right, that, that the things that God has been saying he would do in his Messiah, we are getting to see done in the life of Moses right here. So if you look at chapter 19, verses 21 through 25, you see God is, he tells Moses to remind Israel not to break into his presence because they're not fully holy yet. Right? Moses, Moses had set them aside to get ready to go into God's presence, but they weren't fully ready yet. This is in verse uh, 21 and 22. And Moses asks God, well, didn't you tell us to stay outside the camp? Like, you, you know we're not quite ready for this. And God says, yes, I, I did say that. I'm kind of making sure you're remembering this. He responds by telling them, you can bring Aaron up into my presence in verses 23 through 25. And, and really, this playing along with last week where you see God setting aside the people through Moses God is emphasizing that this is the work that he does through Moses. That God is again establishing Moses is the one in Moses alone that is actually able to bring somebody up the mountain into the presence of God, right? That the people themselves are not quite right with God. They can't just charge up the mountain and be in God's presence. The priests themselves, they also not quite right. They don't understand what covenant they are to be living out yet. Moses is the only one who could go into God's presence and hear you see, God is also allowing Moses to bring people with him into God's presence. And it's interesting in particular, he gets to bring Aaron. Aaron is a key figure because Aaron is the one who God is going to establish the priesthood through for his people. Right? Aaron ends up being the father of the tribe of, of, of Levi. Aaron is of the Levite tribe, and the Levites are the ones that get to be the, the priesthood tribe of the nation of Israel. So God is saying, Moses... You are able to bring people into my presence. And the first person I want you to bring up here with me is the one who's also going to turn around and help lead the people to be right with God. It's a picture of, of the fulfillment we saw from chapter 19 that the Messiah is the one who consecrates God's people. Moses alone is able to set aside the people, declare them to be holy. Moses alone is able to bring them into his presence. And the person that, that Moses brings with them is one who's also going to be able to help make the people holy because he's going to be the chief, the chief priest. So here, yes, God is, is declaring my Messiah can declare people to be right with God. My Messiah can draw people to be me with me. If you look then now at the first six verses of chapter 20, guys, the, the covenant language just comes right back up. We, we saw this last week. It's right here again. In verse 1, you see God declares again, I am your God. Right? Whenever you see in Scripture God saying, I am your God, and then a couple verses later, somewhere in there, he says, and you are my people. This is triggering in the minds of Israel. This is the covenant. This is the covenant that God has with us. He's the one who has delivered and redeemed them out of Egypt, verse 2. And as he is their God, Yahweh, they are not to have any other God, verse 3, nor are they to bow before the image of any other God, verse 4, because they're his people. And guys, this is the language of image bearing that we've talked about a lot in the book. A lot of the idolatry that went, took place in the Old Testament was a, a picture of somebody giving the image of somebody else. 
right? If the people are going to bow before a statue, what they're really doing is they are now taking on the image of that statue. They're saying this is the, the God over our lives. And God says, look, I, I made you to be my people. You, you are mine. You are to be bearing my image. Don't, don't mess around with any idol. Don't put any image before you that you would rather bear because you, you are my people. You are to bear my image. It's the, the same fulfillment that God talks about doing in Moses at the beginning of chapter 19 that God establishes his covenant through his Messiah. So as you see, Moses is able to bring people into God's presence. Moses is now also the one that is bringing the covenant of God to the people. So as God is, it's a cool picture that as they're being consecrated, as they're being set apart, made holy, they're also being drawn into a right, formal relationship with God in the covenant. So here, so far, 19 and 20, Moses is making the people right with God. Moses is actually able to be the one that that formal relationship is established in, right? That not only are God's people able to be near him, but now they're in a right relationship with him. If you keep going in verses 7 11, you see as the covenant is coming back, now God is saying, okay, because you are people of the covenant, you know, because I am your God and you are my people, what do you do? You glorify me. They were now to glorify him instead of themselves. And he begins by saying, how you glorify me, first off, is you don't take my name in vain. The Hebrew there is, is the word um, shav, meaning emptiness or nothingness. Right? If they're going to be giving glory to God, they're not to treat him as if he's just something else. Right? Like God was not just going to be a part of their lives. God was not just going to be uh, you know, something that they added in with the rest of what they had going on. Because that, that's taking his name the fullness of who he is, and kind of just bringing it down to making it like everything else. God says, no, you are not allowed to, to take away from the glory of who I am. And he says, now further, as you're giving glory to me, you start by keeping my name holy. He says, you also do that by keeping the Sabbath holy. And the Sabbath is, is coming from God's creation, which Moses records. He says, hey, God created everything in six days, but then he set aside a day to bless it, to say, I've looked back at everything I've done, and I'm declaring it good. I'm declaring it complete. I'm declaring it fulfilled. I'm saying that it bears my image. So as the people are commanded to keep the Sabbath, they're reminding themselves, okay, our God is holy, and I was made to be holy with him. That, that, is, that is why, I, I, and the resting is saying, okay, I don't, I don't need to try to do anything to attach to that. I don't need to try to make this happen on my own. My God is holy, and I was made to be holy with him. So as he consecrates them, and as he covenants with them, we see the fulfillment from Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Now they're being led by the Messiah to glorify him. And Moses is giving is to now then go give the people some very specific actions for them to take to lead themselves in glorifying God. Continue on in chapter 20, verses 12 through 17. Now, as Moses is to be leading Israel in glorifying God, God promises to equip Israel to do what he told them back in chapter 18, that now God expands on, okay, so what does it look like to bear my image? If you're giving glory to me, because you are my people, because you've been set aside to be holy, right? All these pieces are building. 
What does it look like for you to practically bear my image in the relationships that you have? Now, the, the Ten Commandments, and these are numbers roughly six through ten on that list, they're not the only five commands that God gives along these lines, but they kind of tee up what is going to come in the law later where God is teaching people, okay, this is what my image looks like. We see very clearly in these verses, God's image values life, right? We are told to honor parents in verse 12, uh, to not take away or to damage the life or things related to the life of others in verse 13 and 15 through 17. It says to honor marital life, verse 14. You see, God's image values relationship in honoring relationships between parent and child, verse 12, husband, wife, verse 14, just image of man and his neighbor, man and fellow man in verses 13, 15, 16, 17. And guys, God, God's image values covenant, right? That they're people of the covenant. He values covenant. He, he values that there is a created order to the life that he has given, a design, a purpose, and a, a function to what, he, what he's done. He, he created an inherent order to life. But he talks about, you know, hey, I, I've, I've established what it looks like for you to live with your parents, for you to live with your neighbors, for you to live with your spouses. Do not mess with this. Like this, this reflects who I am. So God, as he's starting to reveal, you know, these core pieces of what does his image look like and how do you practically live that out, which, again, is going to be fleshed out in the whole back, back half of Exodus that we're getting to you see, he, he again is giving all this to his people through the Messiah, right? At, that at this point, because we see now we get to verse 18, the people are freaking out, right? They, they just see, they see there's this list in 18. There's thunder, there's flashes of lightning, there's sound of a trumpet. They, they don't see any trumpet, they're just hearing loud trumpet blasts. And the mountain is literally smoking. It's, it's on fire. They are afraid, Right? They, they do not understand truly how holy God is and how unholy they are. They're, they're getting it, but they're, they need that mediator of somebody to take this image of God and bring it to them, which is, which is where Moses comes into play. And as you see, guys, because they are afraid in verse 18, as they're seeing this happen, they're not quite understanding what's going on. They stand far off from God. Because they're not, they get the sense, man, if, if this is all of who God is and what he's, do, he's doing, then God must be really holy. And, and that's intimidating, right? And many, many of us, like that, that is a very natural response. We, we, the more we start to recognize who God is, it becomes very intimidating and overwhelming for us. Because we just, we can't, we can't measure up. And, and I, I read the response of the Israelites in verse 19 and feel like, I've probably said that to God a couple times as well. Moses, you can speak to us and we'll listen to you, but don't, don't let God come speak to us lest we die, right? Like we, we need this intermediary because we get, okay, God is, is holy. God is so far holy. There's no way for me to measure up to this. They need Moses to be able to draw them into God's presence. And, and you notice how Moses does this. He tells them, look, God is... God is not just trying to intimidate you. God is not trying to overwhelm you. He says, do not fear God. The Hebrew word that first time there for fear is saying, don't, don't be afraid as if you would be afraid of the dark or afraid of a scary clown or afraid of a, 
a phobia of something. Do, do not have a, a phobia fear of God. But what God is doing is he's teaching you to understand who he is. He has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. That, that is a, a different word for fear. What we talked about the past couple weeks of reverence, of awe, of, of worship. That you may revere God, you may honor God, you may worship God, that you may not sin. So what Moses is doing is he's, he's drawing the people into his presence because as we are aware of how holy God is and how unholy we are, our tendency is to gravitate towards that unholiness, right? To, to distance ourselves from God. I mean, there's, we've had so many conversations with people when you're, when you're you know, telling them about Christ or sometimes it's not even about Christ. Sometimes it's just coming to church and people have say, well, I don't. I don't even feel comfortable going to church, much less talking to God, because I know my life is not in a great place. Like, we, we have an inherent stigma, desire, whatever you want to call it within us, that when we know we're not righteous, whatever standard we're using, we don't tend to draw towards the one who is holy and the one who is righteous. God is right here showing Moses to speak to the people and say, no, no, God is not showing off how holy he is to intimidate you. Moses says, look, the more that you know the holiness of God as he has come to test you because he is placing a desire to worship, to revere, to fear God, it's actually going to lead you to not sin. So something about our interaction with Jesus as he takes our unrighteousness upon himself and he draws us into the presence of God, we are actually led to live righteously, to live as God has designed. I mean, it is, hopefully now we are starting to see th this is why the Messiah is so important. Yes, he, he does all of these things. He consecrates us. He covenants with us. He, he draws us into God's presence. He declares us to be holy. He, he equips us to live out the image of God. He does all of this because our default is to stay far from God. And we know from the very beginning of Scripture, God has created us in His image. He did not make us to be far from Him. He made us to be dwelling with Him. So what we, what we are seeing in all of this, guys, is, is God is fulfilling these things in Moses. And we're starting to see these pieces come together. Ultimately, we, we learn what God truly desires of us. Okay, both, both as individuals and as a church. I mean, as a pastor, that is one of the most common questions, especially as a student pastor, that I got all the time. Like, what God, Jordan, what do you think God wants for my life? What is God trying to do in my life? And we typically ask that question as it relates to, like, a specific situation. Like, what does God want me to do in this specific moment? But here we are seeing that, that God is, he's thinking a little bit bigger than we tend to do. That his answer is not just, okay, well, in this situation, I have you do X, then Y, then Z. He's, he's actually trying to teach us, I, I'm actually trying to change all of who you are into my image. He's very clearly laid out in his Messiah. He desires to consecrate us, right? To, to take our brokenness, to take it away from us, to, to declare us holy, to make us righteous again. He desires to be covenanted with us, to bring us into a right relationship with him. He desires us to glorify him, that as the more we realize who he is, instead of being, you know, 
drawn out of his presence. He actually wants us to be giving him glory, to be drawing near to him. And Jesus kind of summarizes this succinctly in John 10.10, where he describes himself as both the good shepherd, the one leading people to God, and the gate, the how you actually are getting into God's presence. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That what God is desiring of his people is ultimately for them to be with him, bearing his image, and that this is made possible through his Messiah. And guys, as we're learning that this is what God desires of us, we realize, hey, then we have been made for relational discipleship. I mean, this is, hopefully you guys have heard this in the language of our our church's mission, vision, and values that we've been talking about. But man, at our core, we were made for relational discipleship. When Moses refers back to this section of scripture, we call it the Ten Commandments. Um, Moses, at, at other times in Exodus, other times in Deuteronomy, I think there's four or five times he references these verses. He doesn't Commandments is not quite the word that Moses would use. The, the phrase in Hebrew that Moses uses when he's referring to this, this text, and I don't expect you to remember this, I, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation, but he calls this the Hasharet HaDabarim, which means the ten words. Ten words. And if you guys heard Dabar in there, meaning word, that is a word you, you know, I've, we've looked at before. I don't know if you guys remember two weeks ago from chapter 18 when uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is with Moses and he's telling him that he's to be bringing the cases of the people before God. Remember we said that that word cases is, is actually the word. It's the bar. It just means word. So it's more of the bring the situation that the people are in, bring where they're at before God. Moses refers to this section as the ten words, the ten things that are establishing the foundation of what it is to, to be in an image bearer of God. That, that Moses, as he sees this, it's, it's less about just ten things to do or not do or ten really great things that Christians should do. Moses is referring to this piece as kind of the foundation for Israel's relational discipleship. Israel, when you, when you hear this, understand that God is showing you what it means to be his people and what it means that he is your God. A, a, and he says, and this is, this is going to then form the basis for the rest of the law that we're, uh, you know, laws about how to live, laws about how to worship that we're going to see in the coming weeks in Exodus. But this, this is a foundation for relational discipleship. And, and that is, that's the foundation we've been trying to build on here at, at New River Fellowship. I mean, our mission statement, a, commit, a community on mission submitted to Christ and committed to disciple making. I mean, we, we want to be living life with Christ. We want to be living out that life with others. We talk about how a disciple is a devoted, developing, deployed follower of Jesus Christ, right? It's it's not just a believer. It's somebody who's actively being transformed and living in a relationship with Jesus. And we've said our vision here, we grow in this by being loving as Christ, learning from Christ, living in Christ. I mean, all of this is building a, a sandbox of relational discipleship that we get to, to live, live freely in. So if this is what God is doing 
and his Messiah. And we're starting to get this picture of, okay, then we're, we're narrowing in now what God wants from us. Then what, what does our response look like? And this is the last piece we're going to cover before we dive into Colossians next week. And we, we make it very clear as we're talking about Jesus, guys. But the last piece, just if I could give it to you in one word, it would just simply be worship. That what God is after in our lives is worship. In verse 20 and verse 21, we've talked about this, but God is telling the people, I'm not trying to just freak you out at how holy I am and how unholy you are. I am showing you how holy I am and how unholy you are so that you would recognize you are to glorify me. Right? That, that what I desire of you is to glorify me so that I can, I can share my life. I can, I can basically give you my life through the Messiah in you. In verses 22 and 23, it it fascinates me, guys, sometimes the way, just the order that things come in Scripture. That is, you see at the beginning of chapter 20, God laying a foundation of what life with him will look like. The very first thing in verse 22 that he tells the people to do is he gives instructions on how to build an altar, right? Which doesn't, seem that big of a deal on face value, but he says these altars are where you're going to offer the burnt offerings and the peace offerings in verse 24. Guys, if you remember, we said that the burnt offering, it was one of the Sundays the past two weeks, the burnt offering was the one the people of Israel were to give that would actually declare them to be right with God. It it was like their sacrifice where God would receive it and forgive them of their past sins. The peace offering, we're going to learn from later on in Exodus in chapter 29, the peace offering is the one that reminds them they've been made right with God. They want to stay right with God, right? That, that their sins have been forgiven, but they need to be active in trying to make sure we are living at peace with who God is. Why it's called the, the peace offering. Sometimes I think it's, it's awesome. Sometimes it's called the wave offering. That they are waving something before the Lord. Just, just as you'd be waving a banner saying, I surrender God, like, I want to be right with you, and I want to stay right with you. I'm not trying to fight you. I, I don't want to live apart from you. The, the, as God is giving his people instructions on the altars first, it's a picture of saying, as you know who I am and as I am making myself known to you, be right with me. Stay, stay in my presence. Stay in my nature. Stay in my image. All of this a picture of, of worship to God. Paul Paul puts it this way in Romans 12.1 when he talks about worship in relation to us living rightly with God. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, this is your true and proper worship. Some translations will say this is your spiritual act of worship. That Paul is saying, look, the, the action of actually working to try to keep ourselves living right with God, which is a total life-encompassing thing, is an act of worship to God. And as he's giving the instructions of the altars and he's training the people in this way, you see in verse 25 and 26, just this little details to reiterate how seriously he takes his holiness and their unholiness. He basically tells them in verse 25, don't, if you're going to make the altar out of stone, don't cut the stone. Because if you start touching it with tools, now you've, you've started to make 
an image other than just who I am in there. Don't be caught up in that. He also says in verse 26, uh, don't go up on steps to my altar. At the end, it says that your nakedness be not exposed on it. I, I did some looking into the Hebrew guys, and this, this was intended literally, that, that if they were going to be stepping up onto the altar, they were basically putting themselves on a pedestal between the people and God, where Moses has said, that's not for any of you. So if you're going to put your image before the people instead of mine, I'm going to expose your image fully amongst the people. It's, it's, it's an interesting picture to try to see it taking place in your minds, but it's, it's something that God is doing to teach the people, this is how seriously I take my image. Do not put any other image up next to mine. So what, what do we make of all of this? Guys, what do we learn about worship and how God is, is teaching the people to respond in worship? I, I, first and foremost, our worship is life-encompassing. This, this is what Paul is getting at in Romans 12. We're going to see just how expansive the law gets in the coming weeks, where God is not just trying to teach the people a couple things to do. He's showing them, man, all of who you are changes if you are worshiping me, if you are right with me. And I think it stands in contrast to the way we tend to talk about worship in church because we, we typically think of worship as an act, that it's something we go to take part in uh, like on a Sunday morning or on a, a night in the week, like that worship has an act. And we, we like to think about it that way because if you think of an action, actions have start and end times, right? And, and why we care so much about start and end time is because we like to know the commitment level going into it. Right? If I know that it starts at 6 and ends at 6.30, I know my commitment to whatever's going to take place is only 30 minutes long. Right? We, we're ingrained to think of things as actions because it gives us a time and it gives us a commitment. That is not the language that is used as God is telling Moses, this is what worshiping me looks like. It's, it's not the language that Paul uses when he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. It, it is a total transformation. It means that not only is our worship life encompassing, it means it's continually ongoing. God tells Israel, if you picked up on this in verse 24, they're to build these, these altars and to offer these sacrifices. He says, in every place I would cause my name to be remembered. Right? That, that Israel, where they're physically at, this is not going to be the only time they're in God's presence. So they need to continually, wherever they are, be working to be in God's presence. And, and guys, this also would be teaching the people of Israel, if God is always with me, I don't have to go to a physical particular location to be with God. right? Like that, that God is not telling me that I have to go back to that, this specific place in the wilderness just for me to be right with him because God is actually not just dwelling in a place drawing people to him, but he's dwelling with his people, drawing his people to him. And lastly, I mean, the, just as we're getting ready to close, guys, just it is, it is a theme we're going to see in Colossians. It's a theme in the latter half of Exodus, just how, how seriously God takes our worship because he takes his holiness seriously. Israel is not allowed to be in God's presence yet because God is still working with them as to what it means for them to be his people and he to be their God. Which, guys, this, this is one of the big 
noticeable differences between us and Israel because if we have given our lives to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, right? So this is less of a question of can we be in God's presence? It's a reminder we are in God's presence. God is dwelling within us. And if God is taking this this seriously and he is dwelling within me, maybe I need to take it seriously as well. This is why, guys, as we've been seeing the past couple weeks, God has been sending his Messiah to, to be leading his people to start to understand this. He sent his Messiah to, to consecrate us, to covenant with us, to lead us to glorify him and to draw us into his presence. And he's, he's been doing all of this ultimately so that we end up worshiping him. Just in wherever we are at, and whoever we are with and whatever we are doing, that our lives would be, as Paul says, a, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So as we think on this today, just a, uh, a couple ways, guys, we, we should reflect. As, as the worship team comes up and as they sing in our last song, guys, consider how our whole lives being made to worship God is probably going to change the way we live, Right? There, there are some that when we come to know Christ, somehow we try to make it like there's as little a difference as our, as our life is possible. You know, they, like we have Jesus now, we're good, and we can just kind of continue on going in what we're doing. That this is not necessarily the picture of a, a life that's totally transformed by the Spirit dwelling within us. Consider also what God has done for you in Jesus. Guys, again, it is, it's, it's kind of weird to teach on this saying, like, this is the truth of what we're seeing. It's also pointing to something else. But consider, as we are talking about all of this in relation to Moses and Israel, we are seeing what Jesus has done for us. Guys, keep, keep that with you as you go from this place, as you get ready for Easter. Keep, keep it with you every day, because when we recognize this reality, guys, it's very difficult for us to say the same. Also consider what it means to be an image bearer. I mean, this, this language is all throughout the Old Testament, that whenever it's talking about following God, image bearing is the language that is used. Knowing who someone is so that you reflect them in your life so that others may know who that one is. So as you consider these things today, guys, please join with me in prayer, and then we will sing, we will sing a song to help us kind of reflect on this this morning. Oh God, praise waiteth for thee, and to render it is my noblest exercise. This is thy due from all creatures, for all thy works display thy attributes and fulfill thy designs. The sea, the dry land, the winter cold, the summer heat, the morning light, the evening shade are all full of thee, and thou givest me them richly to enjoy. Thou art king of kings and lord of lords. At thy pleasure, empires rise and fall. All thy works praise thee, and all thy saints bless thee. God, let me be numbered with thy holy ones. Let me resemble them in character and condition. Let me sit with them at Jesus' feet. May my religion be always firmly rooted in thy word. May my understanding divinely informed. May my affections be holy and heavenly. May my motives be simple and pure. May my heart never be wrong with thee. Deliver me from the natural darkness of my own mind, from the corruptions of my heart. 
from the temptations to which I am exposed, from the daily snares that attend me. I am in constant danger while I am in this life. Let thy watchful eye be ever upon me for my defense. Save me from the power of my worldly and spiritual enemies and from all painful evils to which I have exposed myself. Until the day of life dawns above, let there be unrestrained fellowship with Jesus. Until fruition comes, may I enjoy the earnest of my inheritance and the first fruits of the Spirit. Until I finish my course with joy, may I pursue it with diligence. In every part, display the resources of the Christian and adorn the doctrine of thee, my God, in all things. Amen.